Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal here at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you'll want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. Change is constant. Gathering feedback, reviewing changes and trends, and acting upon the results is critical to maintaining a successful business, organization, or system. As we look back on 2022 and look forward into the coming years, what type of changes are happening at ResNet with regard to QA? We welcome back ResNet's multifaceted QA team, Laurel Elam, Billy Giblin, and Scott Doyle, for an interactive overview of the QA team's activities, achievements, and plans. Laurel gives us an update on ResNet's current standard developments related to quality assurance, and we learn why modifications were made to the appeals procedures. Billy shares with us how the on-site field visits are going and now that he's back to traveling and doing these in person. We also learn about the trends in online and on-site provider visits from Billy and Scott and get a gauge on compliance. Scott also fills us in on changes to ResNet's quality assurance data tool and discusses providers' access. We also discuss other topics on the QA horizon, including a provider's beta test group looking at data that can be used for business intelligence. Overall, we hear the impact of careful listening and thoughtful consideration given to feedback received by the QA team. So onward with the episode with Laurel, Billy, and Scott. Today we have the infamous trio of Scott, Laurel, and Billy. How are you all doing this morning? Fantastic, Bill. How are you? Great. Doing well, Bill. Hope you're doing well, too. Thanks, Billy. Yeah, thanks. All right. So today we're going to be talking about the topic of the state of ResNet quality assurance in 2022. And this podcast will publish in early December of 2022. So we've got 11 plus months to talk about. And of course, a little bit of insight into the future. So I'm going to start off by asking Laurel, what's the update on ResNet's current standards development related to quality assurance? Well, we actually have quite a bit going on related to quality assurance standard updates right now. We're working on a series of amendments that will make the quality assurance standards more clear, more efficient, and more streamlined. So a task group has been formed to do a comprehensive review of chapters one and nine. Every several years, we like to do kind of a comprehensive update or a relook at the standards to see where they can be improved to be more helpful for the industry, providers, quality assurance designees, more easy to understand, and that sort of thing. So John Hensley, who's actually our board president, and he's the chair of SDC 900, who oversees the quality assurance standards. And Chris McTaggart, who's also a part of SDC 200, I think now. And then Leo Jansen and Charlotte Reed and David Chu and I think Michael Arblast are all on this really great task group. And they provide a lot of good perspective. So they're doing a comprehensive review of chapters one and nine to look at every single place in both of those chapters where improvements could be made. 
The second is an amendment that will be proposed to potentially reevaluate the 10% file QA review requirement, as well as the 1% field QA requirement, as far as it being per individual rater and that sort of thing. Those numbers of 10% file QA and 1% field QA have been around for quite some time. And to be honest, you look back historically, well, where did those numbers come from? Perhaps it was just an easy number for raters and providers to wrap their head around and calculate for the QADs as their quarterly requirement. But maybe it's time to take a fresh set of eyes and look at those numbers and see where things can be improved and how we can continue to be the gold standard for quality assurance while maybe moving these numbers. And like I said, working with providers and QADs to better assist them with their jobs. The final amendment that has actually already been addressed through an interim amendment, specifically addressed some issues that we discovered through litigation, basically surrounding our appeals process and our hearings procedures and looking at the ability to fairly enforce our appeals process and making it very fair for everyone that's involved. Well, that's a lot of work. (laughs) Some of that, I imagine, started in months past or outside of 2022. It's, It's an ongoing effort. Yeah, absolutely. Some of it has and definitely some of the bigger picture thinking as far as changes to the quality assurance standards and thinking about the 10% and 1% file and field QA requirements. Just to focus in on the appeals procedure, you talked about some of the reasons why. Can you share with us the reasons why to make that modification? Yeah. So ResNet has been involved in some court cases. So we've taken five individuals to federal court on trademark infringements and including our right to enforce our standards. We've actually prevailed in all the cases, but what we've discovered through our litigation and through our legal counsel is that it's very important for our standards to be very clear in relation to our appeals procedures, the notifications, et cetera, et cetera, so that everybody is treated fairly and that resident actually has the right to enforce our standards, which is really important. So that's why that went through as an interim amendment. But keep in mind that all interim amendments will be going out for public comment. So that amendment will go out for public comment in the coming months so that that way all the industry can share their viewpoint on that. And the best way is to subscribe to the newsletter to learn about these amendments. Absolutely. Yep. All of our public comment periods will be going out via our email notifications and that sort of thing. But yeah, definitely. And if you need to get on that list, you can always email info at resnet.us. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I see it on LinkedIn also. There's also postings on that. So it's really hard to miss if you're interested or curious on that. Bill, I wanted to add something about interim amendments just to clarify for the audience that interim amendments, it's a tool that we're using as a standards development body to be able to implement standards very quickly that are deemed urgent. And that bypasses the public review process, which can be very slow. So if you have something that's deemed very urgent for the industry, we don't put it through the normal process, which can sometimes take, we've had amendments take over a year to finally become finalized through multiple rounds of review, et cetera. So the interim process is a means by which we can, the standards management board has to approve and agree that it's urgent, but we can get something in place on a temporary basis. Meanwhile, we still will that and then that will go out for public review and we'll get people's feedback and finalize it with something that is more of a public consensus. And so that's a board action that triggers the interim amendment. 
typically is proposed as an interim amendment. The proponent of the amendment can make the case that it should be interim, and then that gets submitted to the Standards Management Board for approval. They need to be convinced that it's actually, that it warrants this sort of urgency to tag it as an interim amendment, or they can reject it and just make it go through the standard process. And then the notice is also given publicly that this is taking place. Yeah. And one key, if you're looking at amendments on our website, if they're tagged with an I, like 43I, that stands for interim versus, what is it, Laurel F, I believe, for final amendments? Yes, that's correct. It's F for final amendments and I, the same nomenclature. So it's just like 62I, I believe, was this one. And there'll be a 62F once it goes out for public comment. Yeah. So to clarify your question, Bill, it might be that something like this comes from our board of directors, but it's not required to be a board action to create an interim amendment. That's really the prerogative of the Standards Management Board that does serve under our board of directors in a way. It would make sense. It's related to a standard. Okay, very good. And I will put a link in the show notes for those interested to see a typical interim and a typical final amendment so that just curiosity can be satiated. Shifting over to Billy, tell us how the on-site field visits are going. Thanks, Bill. They're going well. It's been after a respite or break in live visits. We started 20 months with any visits at all from February 2020 to October 2021. And then we did some visits in October, last October, and then started up again this summer. And at this point, we've gone, at the end of last year, really, we had visited every provider at least once. And this year, we've been doing second visits. Everyone we've seen this year has been a second remote or QA visit. It's been great to go through that process with everyone. A lot of the things we've learned along the way have been incorporated into our quarterly webinars. And so we've gotten that information out there and we've seen shifts in people learning through those things that we've learned and shared and also in adjusting some other practices. And then as we've seen people this year compared after visiting four years ago, definitely been good to build upon what we've done before. We asked providers this year, this time around, and we will ongoing. Billy, can you give us any kind of common themes you've observed in these new the field visits that are taking place? Well, I'd say one common theme is that things seem to be improving with regards to generally some of the things that people may have been unclear about from standard changes over the years that they seem to be clearer through learning about them and talking about them, as I said before, in the quarterly webinars. And then also there are good questions about the checklist. So the checklist is a new thing for QADs and the QA review checklist. It's really since July of 2020. So it's not that new, but it's something that really now everyone's adopted. So there's lots of questions, some questions around using that. There's a lot more ease with using it for the most part. People are comfortable with using it. And believe it or not out there, people say they like it on average more than don't. And also some other themes are asking about some of the newer things coming online, like the HVAC grading, the standard 310 HVAC grading and the processes for that. Or, And I'd say the biggest question I get, though, is questions about the conference. Will we have the conference and will we have live conferences again, which I think we're going to talk more about later. Short answer is yes. But those are some of the big themes, I think, that I picked up on this year. I suppose it's always nice to see a face-to-face representative of ResNet just to help build community. Yeah, I mean, that's been the advantage of these all along. And I will say, yeah, getting back to in-person, really, people do, including myself, validate that it really is 
great to just have that one FaceTime and just more interactive and more about building our relationship with our own industry and just building relationship as people and making things more personalized that way. Billy, for both you and Scott, can you talk about the trends in online and on-site provider visits? And are, are you seeing greater compliance than before? Yeah. And Scott can add to this, but I touched on it probably already to a degree. As we've seen things really since I started in 2018, as we saw things that were what we saw as common misperceptions or misinterpretations, I guess, of the standards, we would present those in quarterly webinars and start to clarify to people. Also on the reports and on the exchanges with people, as we do these visits, we would let them know about these. We would confirm what the standard really says about certain specifics. And through that process and reinforcing quarterly webinars and roundtables, we've seen people come to understand those better and therefore really are doing it more consistent with the standards. That's probably the biggest thing I've seen thematically. Got it. And Scott, maybe more towards the online aspect? Yeah, I would say a couple of things come to mind that I think have really helped. If I think back across the timeline, the early years when we first were doing online QA reviews, when I came on in 2017, compared to now, there were a couple of changes. One of those changes in our standards required photo documentation, or actually just a very clear list of what supporting documentation is required for quality assurance file reviews. And that tells the reader what documentation they need to collect that at every job. And that also tells the quality assurance designee and provider what should they be asking the rater to submit in order for them to do that job, to do a good, proper file review. And in the very early years, there wasn't a whole very clear list of prescriptive things that you have to collect for each one of those. Now that there is, that gives us something easy to check on. We can ask in the context of the online QA review, we do screen sharing through a virtual meeting, and I can just pick a rating that they've done quality assurance on, ask them to show me the photos that they've collected, the other supporting documentation they've collected. Let's see the QA review checklist that you're supposed to fill out, work through or talk through any interpretation questions they might have about how to fill that thing out. It's just given us a lot more common ground to work from and very clear expectations of what they're supposed to do so we can ask them for it. So as an example, when you certify a new rating field inspector, you're supposed to have photo documentation of their graded field evaluation. And here they are at a job site. Here they are doing the thing that you're supposed to do for that exercise, whether it's setting up a blower door, a duct test, or taking measurements. And we don't collect 100% of those. We don't have a repository of millions of photos from every rating field inspector that ever got certified. But there is a requirement that providers have to have those in their archives. So the online QA review gives us a chance to spot check or audit all of those requirements and make sure that everybody's on board. And I would say overall, those have been really helpful. Having those requirements in place been really helpful to just let the providers know exactly what the expectation is. By and large, people want to be in compliance. They're not trying to be out of bounds for the most part. And it allows us to ask pretty clear questions in the context of the online QA review. And I would say the general trend for things like that is greater and greater compliance over the years. It's interesting because I hear the clear expectations phrase used an awful lot in business outside of ResNet, just in my own business and other activities. And I think to me, that's a sign of the times, but it's a good thing. If the expectations are sort of level set going into an important process, 
then the outcomes are usually better. And the, the points of discussion can focus on the differences and the lack of clarity, if any, in expectations. And that's just a sign of the times in terms of people being very busy, very focused, and just trying to get the job done. So kudos on taking that approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I add something that kind of complements exactly? Yeah. So in line with sign of the times and making things more kind of efficient as people are busier and yeah, and just working to be more cost effective. I've seen more people, not everyone, but more and more people trending providerships and rating companies, trending to more automated app tools and databases. So some that they've created themselves, some that they've created themselves and others that they've bought some kind of platform and then customized it to their own uses. So definitely seeing more and more automation with the providers and raters and RFIs with data collection, and then working with the software to, to make it easier to put their inputs into the software tools. So that seems to be trending more and more. Got it. Laurel, seemed like you had a comment there too. Well, just making everything more clear, like the expectations, as you were saying, that's part of the reasoning behind of reevaluating the requirements in the chapters one and nine of the ResNet standards. How can we be more clear and accurate and our standards language so that that left with the playing field is level and everybody understands what they need to do. Very good. I sense a theme for this episode. <laughs> Phil, before you change topics, I, I wanted to add one thing on that's a trend in the online QA reviews with yeah. providers and just overall in our provider support. I would say in the last couple of months, we've been getting a lot more interest in Energy Star, a lot of questions around the program, around the quality assurance expectations of the program. How does it fit with sampling? I think those are largely driven by demand from builders that weren't participating in the Energy Star program. As people probably know out there, there's now the tax credit starting January of 2023 is going to be tied to Energy Star for the first level and zero energy ready for the second level. And that's created a lot of interest in Energy Star on the part of the builders. And there are many raters and providers who maybe weren't participating in the program heavily that are faced with that prospect as early as January of this coming year. So it's a good sign to see that they're into the program now. They're learning what they need to learn, asking interpretation questions, and just thinking through the implementation that will be necessary for them. And Following that theme, I would say there's greater interest in HVAC grading, our standard 310. We've had some podcasts specifically on that standard, but there is a tie-in for Energy Star, and there is incentive for builders to participate with that because it's one of the means that they can use to achieve the tax credit through Energy Star. So we're seeing greater interest in those things. And it means there's some learning curve for providers and raters. There's questions about how it fits in with quality assurance and questions about how those things can fit in with sampling, probably because there's also workforce challenges out there. Most providers I've talked to seem to be hiring or larger rating companies especially are hiring because they've got this additional interest, these additional services. Maybe they're already engaged with builders for code compliance, but the prospect of doing Energy Star in place of just blow-door tests and duct testing for code, that's a more labor-intensive service, and they're going to have to be a workforce ready to take that on. Absolutely. Many changes. Scott, I'm going to stick with you and ask another question about giving an update on ResNet's quality assurance data tool. 
Yeah, I've got a meeting actually later today on this initiative with my colleague, Ryan Mares. He and I are developing the training for our next step. Where this is, this effort, basically Resonance Quality Assurance Data Tool, is going to be put in the hands of the providers. So each provider will be getting a portal that allows them to access data specific to just ratings that came through their providership. So they'll have data from a quality assurance standpoint. It will help them identify anything anomalous in the data. So all the very hundreds of bits of data that we collect as raters in this industry about each home, we've placed what we feel like are normal or expected parameters around that. And then the data tool is just going to identify anything that's outside the norm to help draw some attention to it. So as an example, if you had a super low refrigerator usage, that would flag as something anomalous. And if you think of this in aggregate for a raider's performance or from our perspective and a provider's performance, you could see if there are trends that you should pay closer attention to. Sometimes they're just valid. That's just because a home is using extraordinary specifications. Like if we rated your home, we'd probably see all kinds of anomalous flags for the things that you've done to your home that are outside the norm. But on the other hand, this is just one more tool that we feel like we should place in the hands of the providers and quality assurance designees because it's something they could use in the context of doing rater oversight. So we're creating these portals. That step is already done. The portal is already built and it's been tested to make sure everybody only has access to their own data. So we've been addressing the security concerns around it before it's live. And the next two steps, basically, we want to pilot it. So we're going to have a beta group that's going to pilot test these provider portals. And before we can give them access to it, we want to make sure we roll out a good training. Because even as staff, we've had it for months and months now. We're still scratching the surface of what it's capable of. And there's a lot that can be done, but we have to establish a baseline of what's the basic training to get a user up and ready using it at least for their basic quality assurance and to give them some taste of what they can do really just as a data tool because there are business analytics capabilities built within it as well that we feel like providers and raters could really benefit from and perhaps some things that they can share to value add their service to builders. Yeah, I found that when people get large masses of data, they sometimes need help in identifying the most impactful aspects of it and very wise to use a beta group to create that intimate dialogue to help develop the training tool, basically the training and how to use this data set. Yeah, absolutely. What's the timing on that? So Ryan and I are working on the training this week. I don't think we'll be finalizing it before the holidays, but we feel like we could finalize this first version of the training in early December, deliver it to our beta group before the year is up and have our beta testers in the tool and using it by the first of the year. And then in first quarter, we feel like we should be wrapping up with that beta. We'll also be able to revise our first training from the lessons we learned from delivering it to our beta group, revise that training. And I feel like first quarter of 2023, We'll be granting access to all of the providers so they can access. Each of them would access their own data for ratings going back years. So it's not just going to be for 2023 forward. They're going to be able to access data, the same stuff that I can look at now, which goes back at least five years. 
So historical data, they're going to get an investigation loop microscope on that. <laughs> Interesting. Great. A lot of changes there. So these are all the things that are underway. But let's take a look at the horizon for QA. We always do this at the end of the year and look forward and see what's coming up and points of discussion. And we haven't heard from Laurel in a couple of minutes. So what's on your horizon regarding QA? It's definitely finalizing the standard amendments that I discussed in the beginning. All of them will be going out for public comment. So we rely on that task group and lots of our very incredible, hardworking volunteers to go through all of those amendments. But I just think the continual improvement of our standards, I'm sure Billy and Scott We'll talk more about the QA data tool as well as the QA checklist, working on technologies, making our building registry more robust as a QA tool. That way we can continually monitor above and beyond the standards, which need to be clear and concise and efficient. Having our registry be a better source for the continued monitoring of quality assurance, I think is very, very important technology at the time where we can create APIs, connect with different providers, databases. I think that those are all important things and revamping our current buildings registry, ratings registry, so that it becomes a more robust tool for not only quality assurance, but for providers and reporting and that sort of thing. So Scott, with regard to what's on the horizon regarding QA, can you describe to us anything you see? Yeah. So one of the big efforts that we have going right now is to try to convert our existing field and file QA review checklist to an app. That might be a combination of a phone app and a desktop app or something optimized for tablets, et cetera. That remains to be seen exactly what it gets designed for because we're getting feedback through the survey that we've sent out to our quality assurance designees. But we feel like that's just another step. As Laurel mentioned earlier, maybe Billy mentioned earlier, you could see a trend across our industry where there's more of a migration to using app-based tools technology, leveraging the technology that we have to do the same job that we've been doing, but perhaps with different workforce. In the early days, we had people that were just insistent on working off paper. They were even resistant to carrying something like a digital camera to take pictures in the field. And nowadays, the workforce is a lot different than it was then, including our quality assurance designees. And we feel like we need to move away from the spreadsheet-based tool that we've given them. It's a Google Sheet. You can use either the online version or you can use a spreadsheet version today. Where we're headed with it is for it to be a developed app. And one of the most important components of that is that we can collect the data and use our registry as the data repository for all of the quality assurance that's getting done. And so the app is partly to put it in the hands of the users and make it more field-friendly or desktop friendly, but it's also going to help us connect it to our registry and allow us to work with that data. So we could see trends in terms of what across the chunk of time or across a region, what are the issues that seem to crop up a lot that get flagged in the QA review checklist so we can do a better job of educating the industry. That will inform the topics on our webinars, that will inform the topics that we address through the ResNet conference or other regional conferences that we present at. Excellent. I mean, it's really the team I'm talking to here, Billy, Laurel, and Scott, your personalities are driving a lot of this coordination and assimilation of the knowledge and sharing of it. So kudos to you on doing so. We'll call that a wrap here on the discussion of what the year-end state of our ResNet quality assurances for 2022. I want to thank you for joining me here on the ResTalk podcast and look forward to speaking with you again. 
in different situations here in the near future. Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk Podcast. We hope you heard some things that'll inform you or change your perspectives, perhaps prompt some questions or satisfy your curiosity about the world of ResNet. If you're a building pro, surf on over to resnet.us forward slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today by Larry King. I remind myself every morning, nothing I say this day will teach me anything. So if I'm going to learn, I must do so by listening. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet on what you heard here or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us, R-E-S-N-E-T dot U-S. If you've not subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so. And as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.